jingle, won't you share our love? We will build for you a hut. You're gonna be our favorite nut. We'll have a lot of little oh by golly. Then we'll put them in the follies. By jingle, said by gosh, by gee. By Jiminy, please don't bother me. So they all went away singing oh by Hello, and welcome to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. So this episode will be the beginning of the start of four, the first of four episodes where I'll be looking at Native Son by Richard Wright. This is probably one of the more well-known and famous novels I've looked at in this this series. There has been several uh, famous books like Uncle Tom's Cabin, um, for example, and and some others. But I've been reading through the Library of America, so I get some well-known books, but I also get some more obscure relatively obscure works, canonical works, I guess, but but maybe lesser-known works by authors and things like we've been doing with Richard Wright, like Law Today and Uncle Tom's Children. I'm not sure. Certainly it's not as well-read and well-known as Native Son or Black Boy. Um, but this is certainly a work that that a large number of people come across at some point in their lives um, and is, you know, it's probably every bookstore you know, has it on the shelf. Uh, and it's not one I've read. I, I mean, I kind of embarrassed the same way I'm Uncle Tom's Cabin when I hadn't read it yet. It's just like, well, you know, I read a lot of nonfiction when I was young. So didn't have the time to read uh, all these books. I knew about it. Uh, I didn't really know what was in it. Um, I knew it was kind of a bleak novel, um, but I, I didn't quite know what to expect going into it. Um, but by that point, I've already read two other Richard Wright books, and I was kind of sold on him as, as a writer and was excited to start. And then I, I consumed, I read it very quickly in, in a handful of days over, the, over our winter break here in Taiwan. Um, now, I haven't started Black Boy yet. I've been kind of sitting on it because I've been trying to catch up on recording. So I'm going to start reading Black Boy probably next week, um, and 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 then we'll do uh, we'll do the the Outsider. I'm um, finally and finish up our thoughts on Richard right before moving on to like James Baldwin or maybe doing some other of the the books on black writers that I have available. So, anyways, um, this book is kind of structured in 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 a different way. It's structured in three ch- books. It doesn't have chapters. The first book is 90 pages, and the next two are each about 150 pages. So it's, you know, we're going to, I guess I'll just do book one today, and then I'll, I'll do the next three episodes looking at the other three. Um, you know, maybe cr- looking at the story thematically might be a better way to go about this at this point. So, um I think this episode I'm going to talk about the characters because all our major characters are introduced in book one anyways, uh, with the exception of the lawyer, but even he's sort of alluded to, I think. Um, then we'll, in in the next episode, I think I want to talk uh, more about like race in America and how Richard Wright is dealing with it uh, and the black experience during the Great Depression. Um, and at some point, I want to talk about communism. Uh, so maybe I'll do a whole episode focusing on the, the portrayal of communism here. And then, like, the justice system, maybe. I'm, I'm not quite—I'm going to kind of play it by ear. Um, 
but I, I do, I will kind of go through the book, but I'll emphasize different themes in different episodes trying to um, get a handle on this because this is, there's, I mean, every page here, you could spend like, you know, almost every page here you could spend like a, you know, whole podcast on in some cases that is very, very rich and very complex and difficult to talk about. I mean, compared to Uncle Tom's Children, this is like on another level of, of and it, it's a different experience. And someone of my background reading a book like this, it's talking about things that, you know, experiences that, that I'm not going to have and didn't have uh, growing up or when I was bigger Thomas's age. And um, I, I mean, I don't get the sense that Richard Wright's attention here is empathy. It, it's much more brutal than that. And, but he must have known, you know, he knew white people were going to read this book. And so he's got something to tell them. But it's not uh, melodramatic. It's not, it's not about pathos, really. It, it's something more. It's like the anger side of things. Now, remember when he finished Uncle Tom's Children, he was upset with the reaction because white liberals shed tears over the book. And he's like, well, that's not the, what I wanted. He wanted a different emotion. Um, and, and I think this book is his effort to try to do that. So um, I think the wrong way to read this is as like a, a, as a tragedy. Um, you know, Bigger Thomas is doomed at the end and he accepts his fate, right? Um, but maybe that acceptance is... Is, is the point, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'll be thinking about this a lot as, as I read through because this is a, this is a tough one and, and, a, and, a, and a very rich one, uh, rich book. Um, so let's talk about book one, Fear. Um, fear, now, as I said before, like there was a recent adaptation of Native Son uh, set in the modern era, set in like the Black Lives Matter era and it's definitely informed by Black Lives Matter politics. It might have been before like the big protests, but certainly there was an awareness of the problem of police brutality and police violence. And, and that informs that story. Bigger Tom is presented in that movie is, is, you know, well-educated. He's reading a copy of the Invisible Man, um, Ellison's book. Of course, Ellison was friends with Richard Wright. Um, I think he was a little bit younger and he lived a little bit longer because Richard Wright died fairly young. But that, and I think that's fine in a way to, because Bigger Thomas here is, is presented very differently than in that movie. Um, he's less of a sympathetic character here, uh, or in the movie, or he's more sympathetic in the movie to modern audiences. Um, and, and I think Richard Wright very purposely gives us a character who, when we're introduced to him, he's kind of a bully. He's kind of a, a bit of a, a brute in many ways and that's part of the point is like this society is, has created this person he's he's not doesn't have control over his own like identity and feelings about and in his place in this world um but i get you know, like you know when you're writing setting a story like 50 years after the civil rights movement you know you it's harder to sell it. Like, I, maybe this would have been a better movie if it set it in the 30s, but then it might feel like a period piece um, and lose some of its impact. I, I don't know. It's a, it's, a, it's a struggle to do this, to set this 
movie in modern times because uh, the black experience changes. It's not a historical, right? Um, and that's one thing we're learning as we're reading these kinds of uh, these collections in this series is is you know that there is a history there and things are changing. So I I, I appreciate what they tried to do. Um, I don't think it was very successful, but the point I want to make is like. 90% of that movie is the adaptation of book one, Fear. Um, the last 10 minutes or so covers the rest of the book and the whole trial thing they dispense with because they have them... Uh, I don't want to say it's suicide by police. It's possibly suicide by police. I'd have to like watch it again carefully to see that. But he, he's killed by the police in any case. Um, and then so we don't get a trial. We just and I, and I think that speaks to us in the age of Black Lives Matter perhaps, but I think we missed out on a lot of what this book's kind of trying to do. We also don't have communism in the, in the movie because we have kind of more the white liberal, uh, the white liberal ally of black America being presented instead of the communists. And, and that takes away from, I think, some of the interesting aspects of the story too. So um, anyways, but all this is just me trying to say that that movie want, just wanted to adapt fear. Um, and that's interesting in itself because Richard Wright wants you to read the whole book. He doesn't just think you can end it after, after book one. It's 90 pages of a 400-page book. Um, but a lot happens, I guess, in those, 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 those pages. So let's talk about what happens in Fear, book one of Native Son. So um, now Bigger Thomas lives in basically like a one-room uh, tenement kind of house in Chicago. He's in Chicago with his, um, his, his mother, his sister Vera, and his younger brother Buddy. Uh, and he's the, the oldest. And it's, we're immediately introduced to a rat uh, in the house. It's a rat-infested apartment. It's small. It's one room. You know, they have to change with their backs to each other. So, you know, for, that's the privacy they get. Uh, it's during the Great Depression. It's set during, during the end of the Great Depression. And if you know any of the history of the New Deal, you know the New Deal um, helped America broadly, those policies, but it did not help black Americans nearly as much. Um, recovery tended to help white people first. first well, blacks were first fired, last to be rehired. Um, and then policies themselves were discriminatory uh, in various ways, not always by intention, or maybe by intention, I don't know, I'll let the historians tease that out. But for example, this wouldn't affect a bigger Thomas, but the, the AAA, uh, which gave subsidies to farmers for lowering production, um, get, was given to the landowners. Now, most black farmers were tenant farmers or sharecroppers. So they didn't get the AAA payment. So they were told, so landowners would take land out of cultivation and get subsidies, and that would actually hurt um, black farmers who lost uh, land. They, they, were, they lost their leases in some cases. So this, the New Deal itself was, uh, you know, didn't always make uh, life better for black Americans. Uh, maybe things start to change with the Roosevelt's order on war production in, in 1940. That, that was issue 41. That was issued right around the time that the book was published, but it wouldn't have had a, much impact on someone like Bigger Thomas. He's on the dole. Let's put it that way. And he's being put off the dole. Um, 
the family's going to lose it. And so they're going to be destitute at this point. So, but the aid agency, it's some kind of New Deal, an unnamed New Deal agency, I suppose, some city government, maybe it's at the state level, but he's being told, he's like, we have a job for you, right? It's like work for welfare kind of situation, but, but 60 years earlier. So he gets, uh, and that's like, what he has to do in the day. That's his job that day, is to go to this interview for this job. And it's going to mean, like, the this, this, this survival of his family, essentially, because he's the only one who really can go out there and make a living. His siblings are too young, and, you know, and his mother's got to deal with the kids. Uh, there's no father um, in the story. Um, now, he then goes out, and we spend much of book one uh, with him hanging out with his friends. He hangs out in a pool hall, and they plot crimes. And like I said, he's, he's a bit of a bully. He's, uh, you know, he is a criminal, and he's plotting a crime. Now, normally, he's, he's robbing black businesses in, in, in Chicago. But they're planning to rob this, I think it's a Jewish store owner or something. But Bigger's a little afraid to do this because he, he knows that that's kind of going to put him at more risk of the law because the, the police don't care if blacks rob from black businesses. They care if blacks rob from white businesses. But he wants to appear tough, so he, he, he goes along with this. Eventually, he just doesn't show up for the job. Uh, and this pisses off his, his friends who feel betrayed by that. But we know deep down he's, he's afraid of this. And he's got this deep anxiety um, throughout. And this is something that's hard to talk about without just reading it. But you, you have to read this book, I think, to fully get the sense of it. But he's got this anxiety and this fear running throughout him constantly. And he, he can't ex- articulate it very well. So that's why it's hard to talk about it. But he, it, we just get the sense of feeling. And I think Richard Wright does a really good job here. of, And he doesn't use stream of consciousness really to get there. He doesn't use modernist techniques to get there. It's just this sense of, of un, like, inspecific anxiety running through his life at every minute, right? And the, it, book one is called Fear, right? And, and the, his arc, if he has one, Bigger Thomas's arc, it, and he certainly does have one, but I wasn't meant to be ambiguous about it. His arc is from fear to kind of acceptance, but it, it's only when he's facing his death and there's nothing left to fear. Can he feel any kind of like peace with himself? But out in the streets of Chicago, there's just this constant overwhelming anxiety. And, and I, you know, I don't know, like a lot of people are diagnosed with like generalized anxiety these days. Um, so I think this is not an uncommon sentiment people have, but um, so maybe the people who experience this and can articulate what it feels like, but it's just, it's just omnipresent, right? Um, he says at one point, like, now he does associate it with being black in America, of course. He says, I don't know. I just feel that way. Every time I get to thinking about me being black and they being white, me being here and they being there, it feels like something awful is going to happen to me. Uh, and he can't say what it's going to be. He just feels waiting for that other shoe to drop, um, not knowing what it is. Now, of course, Chicago here is a segregated city in a, in a sense, a de facto um, way, de facto segregated by housing policy. And that's going to be important for our, you know, our other major characters who are 
um, in the story. I, didn't I promise to talk about characters here? I, I'm kind of going through the plot. It's taking me longer than I thought I would to go through the plot. But anyways, he's... I'll do the plot first, then I'll go kind of break down the characters a little bit. Um, so there's a whole thing in the pool hall, right? And he's kind of bully his friends around. He's, he acts big and tough, but he's got this anxiety. And, and when he talks about it with some of his friends, he does admit this. Now, they go to a movie theater, and on the screen, he sees, uh, I guess it's like newsreel footage before the, the movie, but he sees this uh, um, footage of Mary Dalton. Uh, the Daltons are rich Chicago capitalists, landowners. And in fact, Mr. Dalton is the landlord of, of Bigger Thomas. And this is going to be a, yeah, Henry Dalton. The landlord is the, he owns like this South Side real estate. So he's a slumlord essentially. And he, you know, he charges more for rent per square foot to black communities and he justifies this as just being the rent. Now he, he's a little bit liberal on issues. Uh, he, he, he is kind of the liberal, even though in reality he's quite brutal to black Americans, black Chicagoans. He like believes in things like, he, he supports the NAACP for instance or whatever. But anyways, the important thing is he, they see Mary Dalton and, and she's like a young pretty girl. Um, and they see her on the stage and they talk about her and they make notice about her. Um, so in a sense, Bigger Thomas is aware of Mary Dalton before Mary Dalton's aware of him. Outside of like she being aware of black, you know, the racial problem or something or the Negro problem in America. She's aware of that in an ideological sense. But she doesn't know Bigger Thomas from, from Adam, right? No. But Bigger Thomas knows her, at least because she's sort of a bit of a celebrity. Um, and then they masturbate in the theater. It's no other way to say it. They actually um, do that. Now, he's a young man. He's, he's got a girlfriend, and, and their, their sex life with his girlfriend, in fact, we don't even really hear much about the girlfriend until book two anyways, and she ends up being the second victim of a bigger that's something we'll get to later on but it's not clear like that he's they're having sex and, and he lives in this one-room house so um you go to a theater to do this i guess it, it's it's kind of hard to read it's hard maybe to understand in our social context i i've been rereading ulysses actually and there's a public masturbation scene in that novel famously and i don't know <laughs> I have a hard time believing this was a very common thing, but maybe it was. I, I don't know. I'll let the historians uh, who, who specialize in this topic say more about it. Okay, um, moving on in the story. Um, they He hangs out a little bit more. Uh, he avoids the robbery. Um, he basically chickens out. Because on some level, he, he knows like that's crossing a line, that going to put into trouble. So he's got this fear of, of white America coming down on him. And, that, and that's important for understanding his, 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 the, the bad choices he makes uh, throughout the rest of this book. Um, the, the, there's an element of fate here. And I, and I think where we can maybe have a conversation is to what degree is Bigger Thomas like responsible. He does kill two people. Um, but he, 
the way he talks about it is like he didn't have a choice. Like he he had to do this, do these murders because the consequences were worse. Now he does other things that put him in this position. Um, but anyways, he meets with Mr. Dalton finally. He goes to the interview. He meets with Mr. Dalton and and he gets the job because Mr. Dalton wants to present himself as being charitable to the black America that he's exploiting for his wealth, for his millions. And he gives them this job. And it's like he has a, a part, like a, basically a room in the house to stay in. He's going to be the driver for the Dalton. So he'll have to drive Mr. Dalton around and drive Mary to school and uh, do other things like deal with the furnace and some housekeeping stuff. And there's a housekeeper there too who's, I think she's Irish, and she doesn't like Bigger Thomas, but she puts up with him. Um, and he, I think he meets Mary... I don't want to confuse the movie or not when he meets Mary. I, I think he does meet Mary early on. He also meets uh, Mrs. Dalton, who's blind. And that's, that's important for the plot. Um, but he meets the family. And, and Mr. Thomas presents himself as sympathetic to black people. There's no discussion here, really, of, of his, of, of how he, you know, he is treating them in a systemic way. Right? Now, Bigger Thomas himself comes off as, I mean, he is kind of an ignorant person, right? We really see this with maybe like with the communism. And I, I think Richard Wright, you know, certainly thinks or thought at the time that communism was, uh, you know, s something, you know, better that, you know, he, he's at, he wants capitalism over, right? He's a Marxist. I think he's not so supportive of the communist movement all the time. He, he presents them as especially white communists, as being inauthentic allies at times. Uh, Well-meaning, maybe, but, but not truly understanding what uh, blacks are going through and therefore not able to be true allies or a true solution. That, that, that doesn't mean he doesn't like support Marxism broadly. I, I think it just thinks he has issues with the movement culture of communism. Um, and that's where Mary comes in, because Mary is... Um, a communist, and her boyfriend's a communist, her boyfriend, Jan. Um, so anyway, let's, let's move to the boyfriend. So um, Bigger Thomas is asked to take Mary to school that day, and um, instead of going to school, she, she's like a truant. She doesn't want to go, so she, she says, okay, instead drive me to pick up Jan, the boyfriend, who is like a straight-up communist party, an open, avowed communist, like an organizer or something. And they hang out together, and... Jan uh, eventually says, like, let's go to, like, let's go to a real bar or something, right? Like, he, then this is very important. So he wants to go to the other side. He wants to go to, like, the south side and see, um, you know, kind of the bar that, like, he, I think, I forget how he actually says it, but, like, let's go to the kind of place you like to hang out with, you know? And this makes Bigger very uncomfortable. He's like, I can't be seen in public with white people without ramifications, right? That's something that's not done. But my boss is asking me to do this, essentially. So he goes along with this and has some drinks with them, and they proceed to get drunk. Um, and they're like the tourists. That's how we feel about it, they, that they are kind of the tourists of, of, the, of the other side. And, and this makes Thomas feel, bigger Thomas feel really uncomfortable because he... He knows there's something wrong with it, but he's very un, he's not quite able to articulate this because it's, again, it's, it comes to him as this feeling of like generalized anxiety and terror every day of his life, every moment of his life about what's going to happen to him. 
And you know, he's afraid of losing his job. He's afraid of, of what's going to happen if he's seen with white people. Um, and now he just thinks she's kind of weird out of this. He calls her an odd girl at some point. Um, he knows there's something wrong with this, and it's based on race. But there's a, you know, he's just kind of confused by Mary all the time. He was very conscious, this is a quote, he was very conscious of his black skin, and there was in him a prodding conviction that Jan, that Jan and men like him had made it so that he would be conscious of that black skin. Did not white people despise a black skin? Then why was Jan doing this? Why was Mary standing there so eagerly with shining eyes? What could they get out of this? Maybe they did not despise him, but they made him feel his black skin by just standing there looking at him, one holding his hand and the other smiling. He felt he had no physical existence at all right then. He had something he hated. He was something he hated, a badge of shame which he knew was attached to a black skin. It was a shadowy region, a no man's land, a ground that separated the white world from the black that he stood upon. He felt naked, transparent, and he felt that this white man, having helped to put him down, having helped to deform him, held him up now to look at and be amused. It's, it is kind of like a tourism for them. And it, are, it makes him feel his black skin more that, that they're around him and they're associ- associated with him in public which he doesn't feel when he's in an all-black environment. Um, and, of course, that's structural. That's not internal to him. That's, that's imposed on him from the outside. It's, it's a burden he has to bear, and it's something that Jan doesn't have to. And Jan's actually making it worse in, in Bigger's mind. In fact, he probably, he probably is. Um, now, we get a little bit of, they ask him questions, and we get a little bit about um, his background, that he is a product of the Great Migration. Um, we know that. He's that first generation, or maybe the, I guess he's the second generation of, of blacks in Chicago. Um, well, after the Great Migration, you know, obviously there have been blacks in Chicago since um, the antebellum period, since the city was founded, but the, the mass migration that came during World War I. He's like that second generation migrant. Uh, so he's he's of the city, but so he's not quite Richard Wright's generation, right? He's a, he's a little bit younger. Richard Wright would have been the first generation to migrate out of the South, um, although not with the Great Migration, right? A little bit later. Now we are introduced to Max here. Max is like the one major character that we don't. I guess the girlfriend, but I think she's mentioned here. But um, we get an introduction to Max, where Jan talks about Max, this lawyer friend of his, and Max is going to be the one who's ultimately going to try to defend um, Bigger. And he's certainly a sympathetic character, but, uh, you know, he's, you know, he's got his own myopia. There's, there's a limit to what he can understand. Uh, but he does probably get as close as any white character does. Uh, Jan's just generally sympathetic to, to black Americans and people like Bigger Thomas. But I think Max, because he's the lawyer, is forced to sort of understand him more. So Max is introduced here, but he becomes a very important character. Um, anyways, we're coming come to it. So eventually they go home. Jan leaves, and uh, Bigger takes Mary home. And Mary's drunk. And eventually he's able to get her into the room. But because she's so drunk, he has to take her into the room. Um, now, while there, he does... Um, get a rapey with her. I don't know how else to put it. Um, you know, he 
does consider raping her. He definitely like, you know, is, is kissing her without her consent and things. So um, he's crossed a line at this point, right? Now he's had a few drinks. She's really drunk. And he, he does this. This is a decision he makes uh, to do this. Um, and it's at this point that uh, Mary's mother, the blind Mrs. Dalton, walks into the room and is like, Mary, are you here? I hear you. What's up? And, and then bigger panics. And because he doesn't want to, he can't be seen in this room with her because of what he's done. And even if he hadn't done that, I mean, I, I think this fear would have still driven him to this. Um, the fact that Richard Wright adds this rapey moment, I think is significant um, because it is putting some moral, some extra moral culpability on, on Bigger Thomas. But without that, if he had just been, just by being in that room at that moment would have been, uh, you know, enough, right? And the fact that he doesn't go all the way to rape her is, is going to be important because the media is going to assume this. There's no evidence that he rapes her. But throughout the book, a major theme is going to be this assumption that blacks who kill white women also rape them. That's just it's part of the package, right? He gets convicted of, of raping someone with no physical evidence, no eyewitness testimony, nothing. It's just a, a, the blanket assumption that that's what happens um, when black men kill white women. So this, this stuff's really hard to talk about, to be honest. So um, I'll do my best. Um, so to keep her quiet, <laughs> okay, let's get to it. To keep her quiet while Mrs. Dalton's in the room, he suffocates her. Right? It's not that he's trying to keep her quiet and then she accidentally dies. He kills her. That's a way to keep her quiet. And he's not identified. He's not, he's, he's not noticed. And then he instantly comes up with a plan, right? Because he's in terror now. He has to do something. His plan is to frame Jan. He comes up with that within like a page of the murder, <laughs> less than a page. He comes up with a plan to blame Jan the Red because he's a Red and he's the boyfriend and, and he, you know, he thinks about his fingerprints, but he figures, well, I'm supposed to be here. Because there's a whole thing about her going on a trip to, I think it's Detroit, and he has to, like, get up early, pack her bags, and, or, or take her bags out. So her, his fingerprints would be there, and this would also give him cover because he could say, well, I drove her to the train station, and, you know, who knows what happened to her then. Um, and then, what, but what about the body? He knows he has to get rid of the body, so he puts the body in the furnace, but... To f the body doesn't fit, so he has to like cut off her head, um, and eventually he puts the body in the furnace, and that's the end of, of of part one. He goes back to his regular house to sleep. He doesn't stay in the Daltons. Um, late at night, after trying to cover up this crime, he he goes away. He so, and I do want to say like the new movie that the, the one that just came out. You know, they knew in a modern house there wouldn't be like a coal furnace for him to drop the body in, but they wanted to keep this plot point. Um, so they actually have it be like a retro house or like a house that hasn't updated its heating system. So they still have a coal furnace, which I don't even know is up to code in Chicago anymore. Like, could you have a coal furnace if you want? Do they even sell those? If you have an old house, are you still allowed to have a coal furnace? I, my guess is that there's probably regulations on this kind of thing. 
But I guess the Daltons are rich, so. Anyways, that's what happens in fear. And I'm already 30-some minutes in. Um, so I think we know Bigger Tom is pretty um, well. He's, he's a bully. He's violent. He, uh, and obviously, he's willing to use it. And he, um, you know, he kills Mary Dalton. I don't think accidentally. I th it sounds like he's, he's trying to shut her up. And maybe in a perfect world, he doesn't want her dead. But he, he thinks at that moment, the only way to get out of this situation is killing her. Um, and then he immediately is trying to avoid the consequences of this, right? Trying to get away. Part two of the book is called Flight. Um, we're not meant to sympathize with Bigger as the novel starts out. Our, our sympathy for him, our understanding of him developed over the course of the novel. But we are presented with this idea of this anxiety, this fear that covers every moment of his life, every part of his life. It's something that he can't escape from. Um, then we have, uh, um, well, I guess we could talk about Bigger's family. Um, we don't know a whole lot about all of them. Um, the mother is, is poor. She's it's a single mom. She's poor. She has to kind of accept the fact that Bigger is involved in street gangs because it's one way of kind of holding together her family. She realizes it's some... Um, income. She's religious, um, which is something that hasn't been passed on to the younger generation, it seems. There's not much to say about it, but she, she's poor and she's on the dole. I, I think that's the important thing about her. And this leaves Bigger having the pressure of supporting his family, um, which instigates the plot, whole entire plot of the story. As for his gang, um, there's, well, there's Doc who runs the pool hall. He's not really part of the gang, but he, he's someone who is willing to stand up to, to um, Bigger. Um, and he actually at one point leaves the gang um, because of fighting in the pool hall. Uh, the other gang members, are, I think one's Gus, one's Jack. And I forget the other guy's name. Um, but they're the ones who want to rob this Jewish, white Jewish man's uh, like restaurant or deli or something, and and they come up with this plan to do this, but Bigger, of course, backs out. Um, and they don't really play a big part of the story later on. I guess they should show up at the end, kind of giving insincere promises to, to, to help the family, but um, these characters are just helping to contextualize Bigger's social relations earlier in the book, I guess. Um, then we have the Daltons. Uh, the Daltons, uh, the, the older generation of the Daltons are, obviously they make their money off the exploitation of black America. Uh, they're slumlords. Um, but especially Mrs. Dalton is uh, someone who wants to kind of give back. She, she's, she steals a dollar in the morning and gives back 50 cents in the afternoon. That's the, that's the Daltons, right? And they make a big deal out of the 50 cents they give back and tend to ignore the dollar they steal in the morning. Um, they are parasites on, on the black community of Chicago, um, despite how much they give to the NAACP. And, and they give to middle-class black organizations. They're not supporting... Uh, more lower class charities, it seems. They're 
they're supporting the visible representation of of of, of, of Black America, right? The the respectable organization. Um, but they're not the kind of people who's going to cross the line and visit the homes that they rent out to people. Um, so that's the Daltons for you. Um, are they complicit in creating Bigger Thomas? I think Richard Wright would say yes. They're part of it. And that's part of the argument that the lawyer makes at the end of the story. Now, Mary Dalton is, is different. She is sympathetic to communism. Her boyfriend's a communist. Um, and, and, of course, she's dead by the end of part one. But she care, her, her, her place in the story never ends because she, her, her death is what motivates all, pretty much all the characters from that moment on. Um, she can be a communist in a very safe way because she's going to be rich. She has plenty of money. Um, she doesn't take her studies very important. She's uh, ideologically, I don't, we don't get enough of her ideology, I guess, to really speak about it, but you get the sense that she's ideologically inconsistent and, and a bit of a tourist with left-wing politics. Jan is more sincerely left-wing, um, and I guess we got to talk about him. He becomes a major character later in the book, too. Um, but he's so, he is so ideological that he, he tends to not understand, you know, what it means to be black in America in the way. Like, he, he's, he's, he'd be a class reductionist, I suppose, if you think of those today. You know, someone who's against identity politics and, and kind of a class reductionist. Just say, we just need to organize the working class, and then uh, that will solve all our, our racial issues. He's idealistic that way. And he's, and that makes him ultimately unable to understand Bigger Thomas. And in fact, when he does say, like, he forgives Bigger because he does kill the woman he loves, um, he wants to blame the system on it, but he doesn't ever really work to understand. He even testifies on his behalf. Max, who again is just alluded to, we'll talk more about. Um, Max, Mr. Max, um, is, well, he's a Jew for, 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 for that, that may play a role um, in him maybe understanding being somewhat outside of America, right? This is, remember, in the 1930s and 40s, the United, United States turned away Jewish refugees. Anti-Semitism was really a big deal in, in the 1940s and still is, I suppose, but it's, you know, it's, this is before the Holocaust, before that, that history was known to Americans broadly and at a time when the United States was turning away Jewish refugees, knowing there was persecution of Jews in Nazi Germany. Um, so he's someone who maybe is understanding of, of what it's like to be a minority in America. Um, but he grows to understand bigger, even though... He's, he's rightfully fearful of Bigger. He does more than, I think, any other white character to, to understand him by the end of the story. Um, anyone else we need to talk about? Um, I think that's all the major characters we really need to get at. Um, so I don't know how we're going to move on here. Uh, then part two takes us it's about 150 more pages, and it takes us to the arrest of Bigger Thomas. So plot-wise, it's mostly a lot of talking to the police, running. Uh, he kills his girlfriend, and then is eventually arrested. 
Um, I don't have a criticism of this novel. I'm not going to make them uh, because it's who am I to, to criticize such a wonderful book? But um, if one part could be shorter, I guess it would be this part. Um, but he really drags it out. He drags out the, the chase. I actually think it's important to, you know, there's some good stuff in this section, especially in the second half of the of flight. Um, yeah, I don't want to, I, what I was just saying, I don't want to you get the idea that I think this novel's too long. If it, it's, it is a quick read, it is a brisk read, and it's engaging, and it sucks you right in, like all of other Richard Wright's writings. So I'm just, I'm kind of wondering if, if one section could be a little bit shorter, just to make my life as a podcaster here a little bit easier, I'd say it'd be part two. Um, but I'll, I guess I'll do most of Flight. I, I think I want to talk about Bigger Thomas coming to terms with his actions, the murder, and, and how he tries to evade it. Um, and then when he finally is on the real run, when he's identified as the murderer, because part of, there is a point here where at first they assume with that Bigger Thomas thinks he's going to get with the frame job because, you know, the whites just assume it, it would be either the red who would do it before this. Um, black man, it kind of, they kind of belittle him in a way by assuming he couldn't have been the one that did the crime. Uh, so, but once it's realized, once it's essentially proven that Bigger did it, then the media shifts and it's just like, oh, well, this, this monster, this ape, like they describe him in like, the media describes him in these simian terms. It's like really, really nasty shit. Um, and of course, the assumption that Mary was raped is instantly there. That, that's a sh that's interesting shift because it's at the first like the way Bigger presents himself as a servant of the Daltons. You know, he's not a suspect, which kind of surprised me when I first read it. But now that I, after reading the whole book, I kind of understand it a little bit. It's like it's part of. American racism to assume that Bigger Thomas was just the submissive servant this whole time, and he, he couldn't have done this crime, right? That it must have been the communist. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's really uh, fascinating the way Wright does all this. Anyways, I probably botched all this. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm kind of nervous to talk about this book because of what side of the color line I'm on individually. Um, and I've, it's probably the most like difficult book by a black writer I've ever read. I, I felt more comfortable talking about all these other, I, I haven't felt nervous about it the, the way I do with this book because it is so challenging. And, you know, it's dealing with rape, it's dealing with uh, a character we're not really that sympathetic to. Uh, we're dealing with state violence. We're dealing with, uh, you know, Bigger's own crimes. We're digging, dealing with, and then this this kind of, this wonderful description that he has of this fear and anxiety that just is everyday, everyday life of, uh, of, his, of his character. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm doing okay, but I'm a little, uh, a little uncertain if I'm getting everything right here. Um, so I'll increase, I'll appreciate your feedback. Um, so anyways, uh, I guess that's going to be it for now. I've been going on for long enough. Um, I'm going to do the next hundred. It's basically most of flight. If you're reading along with me, the first hundred pages or so of flight, it, if you 
kind of like just divide up the rest of the book into three chunks. You'll know roughly where um, I'm going to be. Um, I'll, so the third episode will will cover like the arrest and and the early part of the the, court, the his time in jail, and then the final part will really focus on the the trial, I guess. But I'm going to try to find a theme or or an agenda for each um, episode, and I've kind of been all over the place here. Here I was trying to introduce the characters, and the next one I think I want to talk more about maybe race. Um, so that's I'm going to have to think a little bit about how I'm going to approach that because um, he's doing something very important, I think, and that's why I think this book has to be read by by everyone. I think it still has a, has a message for us after all these years. So, anyways, I did my best. Um, let me know what you think. Uh, thanks for listening, anyways, and I'll see you. gonna be our favorite nut we'll have a lot of little oh by golly then we'll put them in the follies